That is a little bit of a reminder, Romans chapter 1, our third sermon as we begin this wonderful, wonderful letter to God has included in his word the, um, in so many ways, the of all the New Testament letters, the closest thing I would say to a systematic theology that you'll find in the New Testament and uh, a people and a church that the Apostle Paul had a strong desire to reach he had uh, and to meet and spend time with. He at this point had not been to Rome and um, so we're, um, we're getting going in our study of, um, of Romans and this morning we want to look at just two verses. So Romans 1 We'll start in um, verse 16 and just look at verses 16 and 17. Reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. We will encounter several of those reasons so very clear, clearly stated in the text. And by the way, even as I wrestled with that, let me give credit on that sermon title to you'd say I'm in some pretty good company. Martin Lloyd-Jones, as you know, he only spent 14 years in Romans, so... Um, he, um, you ever see your mom when you're looking, ring out that um, dish rag in the kitchen, you know, it's like, well, all the water's out, and they could get a little more water out. Martin Lloyd-Jones got a lot of truth out of Romans, but he used that sermon title. And then James Montgomery Boyce, that great, great preacher at 10th Presbyterian in uh, Philadelphia, who is in heaven, they both um, use that sermon title, so that is not original to me, um, but reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel and as I encountered that and wrestled with that all this week, um, and this will be one of our application points, in fact, our first application point, so I'll sort of begin with the end in mind. I sure want to be repenting. I want to repent quickly for where I have been ashamed of the gospel. I think of some settings I've been in where you um, were less than bold, where I was less than bold to um, give a hearty um, witness of the gospel or endorsement of the gospel, but I assure you we should never, ever be ashamed of the gospel, and we're going to see truth so clearly, clearly stated in our um, passage this morning. The word of the Lord from Romans 1. If you're able, would you stand while I read our two verses? And I memorized these a long time ago, so we could do it probably from memory, um, probably many of us. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we, um, we never want to be ashamed of the gospel. Lord, we thank you, God, that it is powerful, divinely empowered and we thank you God that you have intervened God you have sent Christ God that you have um, authored a plan you have perfected that plan we thank you for being able to worship this morning and testify that you are the God who saves we pray, God, that your spirit, that he will guide us into the truth that we have before us this morning, that we will hear it clearly, we will perceive it correctly, that we will 
believe it wholeheartedly. God, we know the gospel is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would rely on, believe in, trust in, cling to him. And we thank you, God, that salvation is not by merit. Lord, we would never be saved. Salvation is by grace, Lord, and through faith. And so we thank you for the faith that you have granted us to be able to see the beauty of Christ and trust in him. And so, God, we pray you'd build up your church. We pray, God, that you would accomplish all you desire in our lives individually and your bride corporately this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel, and it's that theme, it's that theme that the apostle was, the whole letter is focused on, and he is stating so clearly from different perspectives. It's like, I've, you know, I'm not a gemologist, but they tell me if you're looking at the beauty of diamonds that, uh, you know, the cut, color, or clarity, whatever those C's are, that when you're shopping for one of those, they try to make you feel good about that big number that you're trying to absorb um, that you're getting an amazing cut and beautiful clarity and great color and all that, and therefore you need to be sitting down when uh, they communicate to you about what you're about to pay. Similarly, the apostle is um, he's focusing on the gospel, and just it, we're not even 17 verses in. Look at this, verse one. Paul says he is he's an apostle, and he has been he's got a calling. He's got a divine commissioning he's been set apart for the gospel and this gospel is is the gospel that goes all the way back to Genesis promised beforehand through his prophets so the gospel verse 1 he's been set apart and then if you drop down to verse 9 and what is it that Paul got up every day to do for God whom I serve in my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of his son. So his mission, hey, listen, he had an intention, a priority, an urgency to his life, and that was to preach Christ, the preaching of the gospel of his son. Drop down to verse 15. Speaking of this preaching, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, and we talked about this. They're believers. They're people who are known for their faith. Is people Everybody had heard, hey, you, have you heard about the church in Rome and how amazing their faith is in Christ? But still, they had need to hear the gospel preached, and he had a desire to preach the gospel to them. And so we get to verse 16, and I want you to see this. We'll, um, we'll frame uh, a little bit. I want us to think like we're in um, seminary in our survey class. So uh, I want us to unpack this passage, but we'll still be preaching as we teach. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So he frames everything for 16, 17, and 18 hangs on the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then if we were diagramming this, we would say the gospel. And then underneath that, it is the power of God for salvation. We're going to unpack that. And then the next uh, point, in it. In what? What's the it of verse 17? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And so he's telling us about the gospel. So he, we're coming at this this morning thinking about the priority of the gospel and what are reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. The two verses we're considering are widely regarded, acknowledged to be the theme, the entire theme of the whole letter in fact, we'll talk about verse 17. Verse 17 is called the verse of the whole Reformation. 
Romans 1.17, the verse of the Reformation, right? It was birthed out of, and we'll give you some history on that. So I want you to think with me from this perspective as we think about reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Is this question sort of running as an undercurrent? How does God save? How does God save? Here's what is a reality this morning. None of us yet have stood face to face with God. Every one of us will. I want you to think about that. The Bible declares that so clearly. We will stand face to face with God, and He will not give an account. We will give an account. Right? We won't call the meeting and say, hey, you know, I just want you to know, I had some questions about some of the things you said. That will not go down. Trust me, it will not be like, hey, you know, suggestion box. Maybe you would have been, no, 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 no. We will stand, this is the urgency, this is the importance. There's, no one can shirk this. You're like, you know, it's not like, hey, we're going to um, the workshop for those of you that are thinking about being interested in X. No, 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 every one of us will stand before God. And the ultimate question and the eternal question is how does God save and where do we find ourselves in relation to that answer? You talk about something really, really important to have given your morning to, and my morning to, I'm so glad that we're here. Reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Number one, because it is effective. Because it is effective. So we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it's Effective for I'm not ashamed, verse 16, of the gospel. So again, that's the, that's the big idea. He's hanging everything that he's going to say in these verses on. He's not ashamed of the gospel. The priority of his life is the preaching of the gospel. The gospel, by the way, is a person. It's Christ, who he is, what he has done. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then why? Why, why is that, Paul? Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? Well, it is powerful. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the first reason we should not be ashamed of the gospel is because it is effective. And so here in Rome, a place of rampant sin, a place of gross immorality, a prominent city, what was the hope for the people of Rome? What is the hope for the people that live in the wiregrass? We're going hopefully middle of the week, as Jacob mentioned, we're going to Guatemala. What's the hope that people in Guatemala could have and, and he's saying, listen, the reason we should stand tall, stand firm, boldly proclaim, wholeheartedly believe the gospel is the gospel is powerful. It's the power of God. So it is the power of God. I want you to think about this. It's divinely powerful. Think about, um, I come from a, a sales background is what I uh, sales, sales management, sales training, that's leadership training and development. And um, how confident are you, let's say you're, let, let's think of the world of sales, far, far, like lower removed from the gospel. But if you know you have the most effective product, I used to go in doctor's offices all day long, about 10 doctor's offices a day, and I would go in there, and I would try to, based on the merits of the drugs that I sold, convince them to prescribe the products I sold and not prescribe my competitor's products. And sometimes I had more superior products, and sometimes I had 
more inferior products. I remember I sold one drug that was like the fifth to the market. It's an ACE, any of you ever take it? You have some ACE inhibitor. You know, we were like low tensin. And we were like, hey, there's a lot of other great ACE inhibitors. We're number, I think we were number five or six to the market, but ours is the cheapest, hard sale. And it's like, I use Vasotech all the time. Why do I want to use yours? I'm like, well, because I'm here. Mine's cheaper. Won't you? Yeah, I, I was not real. I wasn't just like knocking the door down. I'm like, okay, David, I'll, I'll throw you some bones, you know, use some low tensin. But it, it was relatively effective. It was just a me too. Let me tell you, there's nothing me too about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We walk in the door, and here's what we know. The gospel we're preaching, that I'm preaching this morning is divinely empowered. It is powerful. And by the way, the means, God, is not let's have a dialogue. Hey, let's everybody let's get a stool, have a, have, a, have a dialogue. No, no, the means that God has chosen to save people is the preaching of his divinely empowered gospel, the happy news about Jesus. Man, that's good. That should make us like, oh, man, these people in Guatemala or Wiregrass or wherever we are, they might laugh at us. They might throw rocks at us. Well, I want to tell you something. They can throw rocks at us. They really can. Latimer and Ridley, cheer up. Let's play the man today when they're going to be burned at the stake standing for the cause of Christ. Why is it that we can be so bold? Because we know that the gospel is divinely powerful. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. First of all, why? It is the power. By the way, not a power. The power of God. God is the one who has been sinned against, and he is the only one who can save. So I want you to think about the reality. We've, we've said this question that I want us to keep running. How does God save? Well, here's the reality. Because of sin, man has been separated from God. You can sit there smug. You can sit there, and I don't think you are. I hope you're not. Please don't. I don't care anything that man has to say this morning. You, you would be foolish to think that. I want to tell you something. Sin has separated you from God. Sin has separated me from God. And because of the gospel, listen to this. God has made a way for man to be reconciled to him. For that breach to be, for that separation to be fixed. For that gulf to be connected. I like what um, Schreiner, uh, Tom Schreiner said about this. The proclamation of the gospel is so powerful that it affects salvation in those who believe. Here's what I will tell you on the authority of the Word of God. The gospel is so powerful that if you will believe it, you will be saved. Wow. How about that? By the way, that means if you don't, who's that on? If you'll believe it, you'll be saved. Let me conversely. If you won't believe it, you'll never be saved. And I just put that right there where, who owns that? Reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel, number one, is because it's effective. Number two, listen to this, because it is the only way to be saved. It's effective, it's powerful. Look at verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, good news about Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. First, the power of God for salvation. So it's purpose for salvation. And isn't God good? I want you to think about this. God didn't have to save anyone. God didn't have to save anyone. It's where I like to think when people think about sovereignty and responsibility. The world likes to say, or a lot of times in the church, people want to say, I just can't understand how, if there is a God, how he wouldn't save everybody. If we're reading the Bible, Rightly, we would say, I can't understand, understand, or comprehend understanding how great God is. And when I see 
him revealed in Scripture, it's amazing he would save anybody. That's the miracle. So if you want to come to the argument going, I want to talk about why he didn't save everybody, I'm going to come to the argument and say, isn't it a miracle he saved anybody? And by the way, back to point one, all those who believe, he'll save. But secondly, it's the only way to be saved. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. Look what it's for. I told you it's effective. It's effective for salvation. To be saved, we use that language. Salvation, I want you to think about this, is from God, is His initiative, is His idea. Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. This, this is so unpopular in the day in which we live. In a pluralistic day, listen to this. There is only one way to God. Boy, man, you just... You're not going to find friendship with a lot of the other religions. No, there's one way to God. There's one way to heaven. Salvation has been provided. So here's the question. I'm, or the statement, and then I'll give you the question. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. Listen, for, for man, woman to be made right with God. Here's the question under this second point. Because it's the only way to be saved. Are you saved? And that's not like, well, no. Are you saved? Yes or no? Are you clinging to Christ? Reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. It's effective. It's the only way to be saved. Third, listen, it has universal reach. Because it has universal reach. Look at verse 16 again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It. What's the it there? The gospel. It's divinely empowered. Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation to everyone. Everyone who believes. So think about this reality that he's declaring here to the church at Rome. Who is the gospel for? How does God save? Well, you, you see in verse 16, I would say, God does save Salvation is something he accomplishes. You need divine power to be saved. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the Jew first. So chronologically, chronologically, salvation came to the Jews first, right? It came to the Jews. God's salvation plan went. But look, also to the, to the Greek. And who are, who are the Greeks? Listen to this. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, the whole world. So the beauty, reason we should not be ashamed of the gospel is like, well, you know, it's, I think of point number one. What if it was not effective? What if there were a whole bunch of ways to be saved? Or what if it's like, well, you know, there is a gospel, but for that, you have to be Jewish. Only Jews. All the Jews who believe. Well, that'd be a different story. No, no, listen. The gospel, we're not ashamed of because it has universal reach. There are no racial or ethnic barriers to the gospel. They've been, they've been obliterated by Christ and in Christ. So reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. This third one has universal reach. God will save everyone regardless of their race, their skin color, their ethnicity who believes the gospel. Isn't that good news? And by, I'm going to tell you something. Gospels for Americans. Well, praise the Lord. But yes, that's, you know, that's, we're not at the center of that thing. Right? So 
Reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. It's effective. It's the only way to be saved. Third, it has universal reach. Look at fourth, because it humbles us and shows us that the proper response is faith. Because it humbles us and shows that the proper response is faith. Go back to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. So we're, we're doing our diagram. Not ashamed of the gospel underneath that. The first four is the power of God for salvation underneath that. To everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. So this idea that belief, what does it mean to everyone who believes? So everyone who has faith in, trust in, relies on. I, I want to prove to you um, that you have, um, have faith. You have faith. I'm going to show you you have faith. How many of you have, uh, in the last two years, flown on an airplane? Okay. How many of you did a personal inspection of the airplane? I mean, you know, I always like to watch it when I'm at Hartsfield. I walk around a pilot sort of, you know, he's like, right? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I hope the guy really knows what he's doing, you know? He's like looking under there and like, and how many of you go like, I, I, went, I went to the cockpit and got a, I got him to show me the fuel gauge. Like, look, we're about to go over the Atlantic Ocean. We're going over the Atlantic. I'm guessing there's no shell stations in the middle of the Atlantic. What do y'all think? I know those military things, they can come over and like, shh, fuel them in the air. But I hadn't seen them do that on Delta. And man, I, we just like line up, 300 of us, and we'll get on that plane. We just have, we have faith, What? I mean, the, the, the guy, I've watched some of these air disasters. Bill put me on, makes you have less faith. You guys like asleep at the wheel, like checking the maintenance records. It's terrifying. You have faith. You got to, how many of you have crossed a bridge? You ever crossed a bridge? We were, um, we crossed some bridge yesterday. We went to visit Luke in Auburn and I was thinking about faith. You, how many of you have um, inspected the bridges before? You're like, honey, you, you and the kids just wait here. I'm going to go down there underneath, and you take your flashlight, put on your hard hat. Yeah. I, I guess there's some kind of stamp that says, this is a legitimate bridge, I, I hope. Hope somebody's approving bridges, don't you? I really hope of all the taxes we pay, there's a bridge guy. Right, like, you know, if the guy you build bridges, now I don't want him getting any payola from the bridge building company, right? Somebody needs to watch that. But you have faith because you said the cruise, and then how many of y'all been down to New Orleans? That one makes you think. You're on that long bridge, like Pontchartrain, isn't it? You're just driving, driving. You're like, that one, Stephanie doesn't have much faith in. The few times we've been on, she's like, I'm just going to look down, and well, I'm driving, I'm good. So we have faith. What are you doing when you get in the airplane and you drive on the bridge? You're relying on, you're trusting. You'd have to say that's some level of faith, isn't it? That's some level of faith. And so we know what that means. And by the way, that's, it's more than mere knowledge. More than mere knowledge. So reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it humbles and shows us a proper response is faith. Look at verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes who believes. I like what Gordon Fee said about this. We must also insist that believing is not something we do in the sense of work, but is always a response and accepting of the gift God holds out to us in grace. 
So it's more than knowledge, it's more than a sin, it's belief, it's trust, it's reliance, it's dependence upon. Uh, um, of believing what? Is the power of God for salvation. Everyone who believes this gift, I love what he says there, it's this response, it's receiving the gift, it's trusting God, depending on. Every time, almost without exception, when I talk to kids, praise the Lord, and God's working in their lives, and he's revealing himself to them, and he's in process of saving. I like to ask them, like, and you've heard me say this before, because it just, like, gets how, sal- how God works in salvation. I'll say something like, hey, when's your birthday? Maggie would say, May 11th. And I'd be like, okay, May 11th. Um, what did you, uh, I won't ask her now, because she probably couldn't answer. Like, what did your mom and daddy get you for your birthday last May 11th? And most little kids can tell you, like, verbatim. If not, mama looks over and like, are you kidding me? We paid $200, we paid $75, whatever, you know. And then the kid tells you, like, and, I, and I'll say something like this. I'll pause, and I'll be like, hmm, have you paid your mom and dad back for that gift? And they start laughing. <laughs> no, I haven't paid them. And I say, why? And they say, it's a gift. That's exactly how salvation works. Why does mom and daddy, and by the way, mom and daddy sure not loving compared to King Jesus, to our good, good father. But on some level, it's getting that picture. You wouldn't like, you know, at the five-year-old birthday party, you're not looking for him to pull out the wallet and go like, man, dad, that's an awesome gift. Here's 50 bucks. Put, put your 50 bucks in the piggy bank, son. I gave you that because I love you. But let me ask you, what do you have to do with the gift? What do you have to do with the gift? Have to receive it. You could just say, I don't want your gift. Now, that'd be unusual for a little kid, but that's, that, that's, that's what Paul's saying. That's how the gospel works. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And the way you receive the gift is by faith. You trust in God. You take him at his word. You depend upon not ourselves, but upon Christ. We believe in Christ. We trust in Christ. So reasons we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Fourth, because it humbles us and shows us that the proper response is faith. Fifth, reason we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it reveals how one gets right standing with God. Really, really important verse. Look at verse 17. It reveals, all right, so follow our diagram. You're learning to diagram the text. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like, that's the top line. Indent, first dash. Why are we not ashamed of the gospel? It's the power of God for salvation. Next indention, verse 17. Not ashamed of the gospel, In it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous, by the way, have you got in your Bible? Um, How many of your Bibles say, but the righteous man shall live by faith? Anybody got man written there? Is it in italics? You see it in italics? That means it's not even really in the text, just supplied to help it read more smoothly. It's literally, but the righteous shall live by faith. It's a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. And it's his fifth point. The reason we're not ashamed of the gospel because it reveals how one gets right standing with God. So the righteousness of God. Now, by the way, that phrase is very, very prominent in, um, well, relatively prominent. It's really, really important. And we're going to spend some time on it. In Romans, Paul uses it seven times. He only uses it one other time in all of his letters, 2 Corinthians 5. 21, right, where he talks about God's righteousness, the righteousness of God. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. And 
probably even a better translation, in it the righteousness of God. And you could even better say, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness from God. Righteousness from God. So it's not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I like what Martin Luther, we're going to tell you a little bit about how God used this verse in his life. He, he called it an alien righteousness. An alien righteousness. This is an alien righteousness. It's outside of us. It's a long way from us. And the only way we get it is if it's granted to us. So I say point number five. We shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't back up from the gospel because it reveals how one gets right standing with God. So Jesus saves. The gospel is the only saving message. Why? Verse 17 is why the gospel saves. How many of you have tried to do right? I have. Like, by the way, Martin Luther tried so hard to meet, to do right by God that he became angry. Listen, I'm going to read it to you. He said he hated God. He just filled with hatred for God because guess what? Time you start trying to do right, what is revealed in you? Man, it just never goes well, does it? And so this idea, how are we going to be, I told you, how does God save? How's a sinner made right? So in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So righteousness of God, listen, this is David's definition, so I've sort of got for you here that I've put together. Righteousness of God is both gift, I'm going to show you some cross-reference on these, gift and power. And righteousness of God, and by the way, righteousness of God can mean, and that's not what it means, it means sometime in the Bible, an attribute of God. When does God do right? All the time. Clearly, righteousness of God is an attribute of God. God always does right. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. But righteousness of God, both gift and power, and, and it refers to the believer's status before God. Those who have trusted in Christ... It's a forensic or legal courtroom term referring to a person being declared in right standing before God. So picture, because of, we come into the courtroom, we come to God's bench, the, the charges against us are read, the blood of Jesus is applied, and we are declared what? That, so that is, is courtroom language. We're declared in right standing before God because of Jesus. It is a divine gift that brings about a change in status Before God, accomplished by the work of Christ, those who are pronounced righteous are transformed by God's grace. So he says, in the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God, this this status change, how we can be made right, how we can be made right before God. And so righteousness of God, I want you to look at that in verse 17. In it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, it's revealed couple of thoughts on this. This status is given by God. Let me show you how clearly this is taught in Scripture. This was just read at Scripture reading, Philippians 3, 9. Paul, remember he gave all his credentials. All his credentials. You'd be like, man, if there was a, if there was a religiously qualified guy, tribe of, he rung the bell, didn't he? But, but remember he said that wouldn't cut it. Philippians 3, 9. Not having a righteousness of my own. See, Paul and Luther, and David, and Brad. We, we all have a tendency to try to find righteousness where? Within. The religions of the world, you know what? They're, they're, 
about striving to find, you won't find it. Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Where does it come from? comes from God to us, not inside of us. The solution we need is outside of us. It comes from God on the basis of faith. So this, he's speaking here, this status given by God. And by the way, they say this is the whole, this verse is the verse of the entire Reformation. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'll tell you one thing that's troubled me before I tell you about another aspect of that. I have oftentimes struggled with this, and I want to help you and help me. But the righteous or righteous man shall live by faith. Now, that feels... Um, that, number one, that's not necessarily completely clear at first reading. How many of y'all would say, just not complete? But the righteous shall live, righteous man shall live by faith. Now, righteous men, who are righteous men and women? Doesn't Paul tell us a little bit later in the letter? There's none righteous, no, not one. Okay, so let me help you here. This, this was like a little shouting ground in the office this week when I was like, I hadn't thought on that in a while. It's like, but the righteous man, woman, shall live by faith. The righteous ones have had a change in status. The Bible teaches the righteous ones are the ones who've been justified by Jesus. The justified ones. If you've been justified, say amen. You've been saved, say amen. You're righteous. And by the way, if you're in Christ, how are we supposed to live? Faith. Thought about this all week. So here's my analogy, and there's more we're going to say about this verse. So don't get too, don't get your purse, ladies. You're not ready to go yet. I'm not ready for you to go. The right or your Bible men, whatever. The, the justified one shall live by faith. That means what's what is our God is sovereign. Human beings are responsible. What are we responsible to do? To, to believe, trust, rely, depend on. When we believe, trust, rely, depend on Christ, we're saved. And when we're saved, and by the way, we're secure. The saints will persevere, perseverance of the saints. The justified ones will live by faith. I liken it to, I think of some of my um, early vacations as a kid. I remember early vacations. We'd go to the mountains. We'd go to Six Flags. We, I remember going to Six-Gun Territory. Remember that? Silver Springs down there. Let me tell you something I never remember. I never remember when I was first, second, third grade. You know, be out of school, whatever. I never remember getting mama or daddy to drive me to the bank to get some money out. You're going on vacation, you need some what? I never remember packing a suitcase. I never remember calling ahead to make a reservation. Sometimes daddy didn't do that either. That made it interesting. And you'd be like, drive up and be like, no vacancy. Like, we'll keep driving. But we had a place to stay. We had food to eat. I got to the park. I never remember walking up to the park. Some of you kids, I never remember going up there and be like, how much is it to get in? And they'd be like, and, and having it ride. But I remember having these, who was taking care of all that? 
mom and daddy. So I was just having what? I, I, I didn't put any gas in the car. I don't ever remember looking at the fuel gauge. Hey, daddy, you know, we're down by Lake City. Probably need, right, you just did what? We know how faith works, belief works, relying on. And so Paul said, listen, oh, if we're in Christ, if we're in Christ, then we're righteous men, righteous women, justified folks. And our job in the morning is not to get up and be sovereign over the day. It's to be the five-year-old with a good mama and a good daddy. And we have a good, good father. And then so when we go, I think about things our members are walking through. We go to really scary medical appointments. When really serious diagnoses are laid on us. When, when we get really, really bad news. But the justified ones shall live by faith. God is good. God is present. He's not absent. He's near. He's not far. It, our job is to do what? On the best day and the worst day. Rely. Trust. Believe. Now, by the way, I don't mean go sit on you. I'm talking about like do that. It's active faith, but man, this is so good. It's why the Reformation occurred, this great gospel. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the status given by God is Philippians 3.9, but it's also God's saving activity. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 98, the righteousness of God. So it means the status change given by God in Christ, and it also means God's saving activity. It means both. Psalm 98.1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done wonderful things. What has God done? Well, listen. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So the righteousness of God is this status is given by Christ. It's this attribute of God. I'm okay with that. That's clearly the case. And, and, and it's God's overall saving activity. God decided to save because he's God and he's good and he decided to save and all the credit and glory for salvation goes to him. So one of the reasons, one of the main grounds of why we're not ashamed of the gospel, it reveals how one gets right with right standing with God. And look at this. I love this language. It trips me up. It makes me want to dig deeper for in it, verse 17. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. There's all kind of meanings um, suggested about this. I think Calvin said it's like the faith of the preacher to the faith of the hearer. I don't think that's what's going on. No disrespect, John Calvin. For in it, the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. I think what that means, as best I can understand, faith, nothing but faith. faith. Faith on the first day, faith today, faith on the last day. Just keep on. What is a person who belongs to Christ, what's his or her calling to keep on doing? Well, having an answer, controlling the risk in life. No, no, no. To just get up every day and what? Trust. Now, doesn't that take some pressure off? That really takes some pressure off. Do you think God knows? Does God know what's in your life? Does God care? Is God, does God enjoy like just sending his, um, Children on a wild goose chase. Just laughing. Does God, does God laugh at his children? Does he mind? No, no, no. Lord, you are good and you do good. And so we rest in that. Our job, boy, this is just like 
faith building. It's, it's assurance enhancing. For in the gospel, the righteousness, the way God brings sinners into right standing with himself is revealed. It's made known. It's shown faith from faith to faith, in kindergarten faith, in master level work faith, in the 10th grade faith, PhD faith, faith every day, faith on Monday, faith on Sunday, just keep trusting. What is faith? Believing in. Let's break down these words. Well, you know, that's as pistuo or pistis is the Greek. Well, no, 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 absolutely it is that. But I'm talking about grab hold of Jesus. We not let go of Jesus on our best day when we win the national championship or when the oncologist said, pack your bags, you're leaving quickly. We're clinging to Jesus, and it's going to be okay. Man, that changes everything. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. I got one illustration from Martin Luther's life about this, and I want to say this the right way. Luther, he, he, he was tormented and his, um, who was the, um, who was his, the gentleman in pastoral oversight there at, Witt, and it wasn't at Wittenberg, it was before that. Remember, he had to make it come and make his confessions to, and, and the guy finally tells Luther, like, go away and leave me alone. You are wearing me out. Unless you've, like, killed somebody this morning, I don't want to hear about it. Because guess what Luther was doing? He was looking within. And he was trying to find righteousness. So guess what he did? He just go, I better go tell the guy I had this thought. I did this. I did this. And the guy was like, you're driving me crazy. He was tormented. Righteousness of God. God's, God is right. How do I get there? And so Luther, listen, listen to this. This was a year before his death. He wrote this. He said, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. Right? So is it, is it our right, our rightness that fixes what's broken? It's not. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. Listen to what he says. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon St. Paul at that place, Romans 1.17, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. And the part I was just going to say carefully is, he was in the potty, like the restroom, and God revealed it. That's sort of humbling, isn't it? Told you I was going to say it carefully, and you're like, I just said that's as carefully as I know to say it. Listen, what did God reveal? Here's what God revealed. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There... I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. 
Make application. Are you trusting in Christ? Yes. God promises on authority of Scripture, you'll live. The righteous will live by faith. That sounds like our doing. Luther was trying to do it. No, that's what Christ has done. That's so good. He who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. Thus a totally other face of the entire Scriptures showed itself to me. Hereupon I ran through the Scriptures from memory. I also found in other terms an analogy. As the work of God, that is, what God does in us, the power of God with which he makes us strong, the wisdom of God with which he makes us wise, the strength of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God. As I extolled my sweetest word with a love as great as the hatred with which I had hated before the word righteousness of God, thus that place in Paul was for me truly the gate to paradise. I like what the author said underneath Luther's quote thinking about the gospel. It was the only way to reach us where we are and as we are. And because of his love for us, he did not shrink from this, this approach, vile and difficult as it may be. Two other sentences, and we're going to apply what we've studied. Thinking about, speaking about the human condition. In fact, we are not sick and in need of healing. We are dead and in need of resurrecting. We are not dusty and in need of a good dusting. We are fatally befouled with death and fatally toxic filth and require total redemption. And Romans 1.17 is the declaration that God gives that, listen, to those who will trust in Christ, who will rely on, believe in, trust in Christ. So living out the truth we studied, first, repent where we've been ashamed of the gospel, repent, where we've been ashamed of the gospel. Second, evaluate our response to the gospel. So every one of us, have, you know, we say, hey, we invite you to respond to the gospel. Let me tell you, everybody in here is responding to the gospel. We're responding. No response is a response. We're either going to respond by faith or we're going to miss it. Evaluate our response to the gospel. And what's the gospel? Christ who, who he is, what he's done. Are, are, are you re- this morning? And by the way, just like circle one of those. You know, maybe you're allowed a place like, I'm rejecting the gospel. Well, that'd be a good thing. Just like declare that. Assent. Maybe, you know, I believe the gospel. I, I give assent to that. The demons do that as well, don't they? <laughs> right? It's like, I acknowledge the gospel. I just acknowledge the gospel. Well, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Or do we believe, or is it belief, trust? cling to, depend on, rely upon. Third, guard against getting distracted from the gospel. Man, we read these two verses. Let me ask you something. What is it that a church ought to be about? You ever seen like, man, I'm talking about like church. They get in all kind of things. I don't even want to start listing things, right? We can chase some rabbits, can't we? If, 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 if the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And if God doesn't know anything about um, barriers, racial or ethnic barriers, so if anyone and everyone who believes the gospel will find that it's powerful, divinely empowered 
for salvation to save. And in the gospel, God's righteousness, this great gift of being brought in right standing, is revealed, is made known from faith to faith. Faith beginning, faith to end. The justified one shall live by faith. What order do we give our priority to? I was so blessed by, um, you will too, anytime you listen to him. I, was so, I listened um, end of the week to um, Stephen Davies' sermon on uh, these verses. And I love the illustration he closed his sermon with. He, um, I, I love Yogi Berra, all the yogiisms, you know, um, just had a way with words. And he was uh, describing a scene with Yogi Berra and Hank Aaron in the 1958 World Series, thinking about our, how we ought to be focused on the gospel. So Stephen Davey used this as a profound illustration. So Hank Aaron playing for the Milwaukee. The Braves were in Milwaukee then. And um, Yogi was known that when batters would come to the plate, he would just try all kind of things to distract them. And so Hank Aaron is at the plate, and um, Yogi's telling him, so he's got the riding on his bat turned the wrong way, and uh, he said, you're, not going, you're going to break the bat. You're not going to be able to hit. And they said, pitcher winds up. Hank Aaron hits it deep into the seats. Home run. Hank Aaron runs around the bases, comes to home plate, and he looks at Yogi and he says, I was up here to hit, not to read. You know, the riding on the bat. And man, Stephen Davies said this. He said, he, he was talking about the gospel. He said, that's like the gospel. We're not here to church. We're not here to fellowship. We're not here to feed. We're not here to... We're here for the gospel, the eternal gospel. Two things that last forever, the word of God and the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. And man, we need to hear that for today. So I love that. Hank was like, man, I'm not up here reading my bat. I'm up here to hit the ball. Church, we're here like guard against getting distracted from the gospel. You know how you can do that? You can do that in... You can do that in men's ministry, women's ministry, music ministry, um, casserole ministry, flower ministry. You can do all kind of things. By the way, men's ministry can be good. Casserole ministry can be good. All those things can be done. If, but we, here's what we need to keep asking. Are they grounded in the gospel and are they pointing toward the gospel? And if not, here's what I want to say. Let's figure out a way to quit it as quickly as we can and replace it with something gospel-centered. Because, look, we're not up here to read, right? We're up here to hit the ball. And, man, that, you read this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. When I remember I've been part of churches like, hey, you come here, and we're going to, like, talk about our diet, and then we're going to, like, work out a little bit on Sunday afternoons, and we're going to read. You know what? Man, hey, I'm, get on the diet. I'm on intermittent fasting. I'm reading about all that. But I'll tell you, you don't need to come on Sunday morning and hear about my diet. And if you want to get together on Monday night to talk about a diet, and we're not talking about the gospel, I ain't coming if you call it church. Now, if you say, hey, we're getting over here. I'm cooking a big old ribeye, David. I think it'd be good for your diet. That's just recreation. I'm there, but don't do churches, you know, we, we need a recreation minister, and we need an activities minister, and we need a student's minister, and we need all No, No, you know what we need? We need the gospel ministry, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And I want to tell you something. I believe the Bible Belt's the worst place in the world, for us chasing all kind of rabbits, and I think the enemy wins a lot of times that we're like the Arizona River. We're two miles wide, and we're one half inch deep, and we're very little gospel in there. Lord, help us be a hundred yards wide and a hundred miles deep, and all hundred miles be gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. I'm talking about the one way that 
Guilty sinners can be made right to a holy God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Boy, that's good news. In it, in the gospel, the righteousness to God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the justified ones shall live by faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for Christ. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, we, um, we repent where we've been ashamed of the gospel. Lord, where we've um, denied its power, where we've um, shirked back, where we've been distracted, Lord, from the gospel. Uh, Lord, I thank you that um, in Christ coming, in his finished work, that salvation has been accomplished. Lord, we thank you that Salvation is by faith, Lord. Lord, we lay that at your feet. Even our faith is a gift. Lord, I pray this morning that we would not, we would not look to... I pray, first of all, we'd not reject the gospel, Lord. I pray you'd change our hearts if that's where we are. I pray we would not give mental assent, Lord, to the facts of the gospel. But Lord, I pray that we would wholeheartedly believe the gospel we thank you that there are no racial or ethnic barriers that precluded us getting in on this great gospel we thank you that it's got a global reach Lord we thank you that in the gospel your righteousness your gift of salvation is revealed and we who are in Christ are righteous, Lord, because of his righteousness has been granted to us and that our job is not to be God. Our job is not to be sovereign. Our job is to live by faith, daily faith, active faith, uh, believing in you, trusting in you, Lord, relying not upon ourselves or our... um, accomplishments, Lord, even may Paul's warning, Lord, a Pharisee, a one who dotted I's and crossed T's in relation to the law, and Lord, that wouldn't save him. So we thank you, God, for your great grace, and Lord, we, we thank you for your church. Lord, we want to be a gospel Focus gospel-centered church. We want the things that we do to be gospel things, and we don't want to um, to be club med, or we don't want to be a a place to hang out and serve each other, Lord. We want to be a healthy bride of Christ, where we worship rightly, where we serve, where we serve with hearts of humility and gratitude. Lord, where, where we go, where we take your mission seriously, Lord, in our homes and in our work and to the ends of the earth, Lord, that Jesus is not a way. He is the only way. And um, Lord, make us bold. Help us be focused. Help us to know what to say no to. Um, help us to know the fads not to chase. Help us to stay committed to your word, Lord. 
that we would be about your business. And we praise you, Lord. We praise you for the good work you have done in your church and the good work that you are doing. And we pray that you would work powerfully uh, this morning. Lord, that you would reveal our true standing. Lord, we get so busy and so distracted. We act like we're going to um, live in this present world forever. And so, God, help us not to buy that lie from the enemy, but to take seriously the health of our souls. Lord, I pray that you would build up your church. I pray that you'd help us to grow in our love for you, our love for your word, our commitment to make Jesus known. And so, Lord, we, um, we praise you for this passage you've given us this morning. We thank you for Christ. Lord, we boast only in Christ, who he is and what he has done. And so we pray he would be high and lifted up in his church this morning. He would draw all men and women unto himself, Lord, for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.